You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everyone, welcome back to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host, Chris Platty. I hope everyone's holiday week is going well as everybody prepares for Christmas this this week, which seems like it just, 2020 seems like it, it both flew by and went very slow, like a long, long Sunday night. But I digress. I'm excited to do this podcast because this is going to be a little bit different. Um, this is me just going to be solo. I'm going to do a deep dive on literally the entire Western Conference because at the end of the day, I did the Eastern Conference preview podcast, which was which was fun looking at, you know, the Nets, the, the Nets, the Bucks, all the teams at the top of the Eastern Conference playoffs, and then looking at that kind of bottom range. And I left out, you know, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Pistons, the teams that I don't expect to make much move, but... In reality, when you look at the West, there's 14 out of the 15 teams have a legitimate shot at making the playoffs. Um, you know, some a lot less than others. And I'm not going to sit here and just outline this is the one seed, this is the two seed, this is the three seed. I, I kind of broke them up into tiers. It, it, it broke up into six tiers. And there's one team that obviously is not competing for a, a Western Conference playoff spot this year, which I felt like. If I'm going to talk about all 14, I might as well quickly quickly touch on the 15th team as well. So, again, I'm excited. NBA basketball is back, and this is being recorded Tuesday night as we get ready for the NBA season to kick off in just, uh, just a couple of hours, really. So, it's going to be a fun season. There's a lot to talk about in the West. And so, I just wanted to give a deep dive so that everybody knows coming into the season, this is where I stand on all 15 teams in the Western Conference. Now, again, I have it in six tiers, and um, I will go from bottom to top. That way, kind of, you know, build more suspense. Let's talk about the teams that aren't as fun at at, at the top of the podcast, and then get into the get into the teams that that I think have far more interesting uh, plot lines and stories as as we go through the season. So, look, let's just get it started right here. I have tier number six. This team doesn't suck, but it's a surefire top of the lottery team, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder. I mean, it's a pretty obvious conclusion to come to. They lost Gallo, CP3, Steven Adams, and Dennis Schroeder, which were four of their five best players. That's going to set any team back, but the Thunder have made it clear that they are committing to the future over the president. 
and why they, I said, I said president, I meant president. Um, and while they acquired talent like George Hill, Trevor Reza, and Al Horford, the moves made by Sam Presti in the front office lead me to believe that those players will likely be moved for assets or bought out at the deadline or at the very least before next season. Now Horford has three years left on his contract and Hill has two. The second is a team uh, is a team option. So obviously those guys would get traded, not bought out. But uh, but Trevor Rees is definitely a, a candidate to be bought out and and pursue a, a a borderline playoff team or a contender if he if he chooses. So this season for OKC is all about finding the future building blocks and developing the young talent that they have. Um, Shea is clearly their best player, but I'm not also entirely sure that Shea is the guy that they're going to 100% build around. I think that OKC. It would be easy to assume, okay, Shea's this very talented, great young player. He's the guy that you start to build around. But I don't believe that Sam Presti looks at him as the surefire building block. I think that Sam Presti looks at him as as a building block or maybe potentially the building block. But I, I honestly think that, you know, if the right offer comes today, they would trade Shea as well. I think that that's... That's where Oklahoma City is at. They have all these draft assets. They built that up, and they're going to try to accumulate more because, like I said, I think they're going to try to move George Hill and Al Horford and Trevor Reza for any type of draft capital, whether it be protected first or protected seconds or just cash. They're going to make those moves to get um, to get assets, and they and they did that with rerouting Danny Green to Philly for uh, for for draft capital. So. OKC is clearly committed to getting just as many picks as they can, and you know we'll see what they do. Maybe they decide to trade in a, a bunch of those picks and get somebody to pair with Shea, maybe uh, maybe another young uh, a young blue chip player like a Michael Porter Jr. or something. If if that situation doesn't work out in Denver, now I don't think that would ever happen. Of course, Denver is fully committed to Michael Porter Jr., but. I thought I use him as a as a name of an example of of if somehow one of those very rare young blue chip players become available, I think OKC could make some, could trade their draft capital for that, or they're just going to do what they've done for years and and draft. And Sam Presti has proven to have an excellent draft record, uh, not not the best, but I mean the dude drafted Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka all back to back to back, so. Uh, you know he's clearly got a, he's clearly got an eye for talent, and I think that the front office trusts that. And there's reason to be optimistic. But again, this team is just from a pure talent perspective is just not going to touch any of the the rest of the Western Conference, unfortunately. So I, again, I don't I don't think they're going to be miserable to watch, but they're they're definitely going to be a team that's going to rack up a lot of losses, and and we'll see we'll see what the future holds for them because I believe the future is bright. Okay, tier number five. They have competitive aspirations, but not likely a playoff team. Now, this is three teams. The first of which is Memphis. This team played awesome last year. Jaws an absolute animal, and in a year or two, he could quickly ascend into being that elite player that could carry a subpar team into the playoffs. But I think injuries like Jaron Jackson Jr. hurt in a condensed season with less room for error. And I also feel like straight up the West just improved more than this team did which could lead to a very high pick and another franchise piece to put around John Jaron Jackson Jr. 
So for Memphis, I think there's, again, there there's reasons to be optimistic. You played very well last year. I think you played uh, above your expectation. You have nice young pieces outside of Jaron and, and Ja, like, like Dylan Brooks and, and Brandon Clark, and players that I think, you know, they, they have something there. So I would love to see this team be uh, be a, a, a playoff team, but I just don't see their roster being better than all of these teams. Because remember, this year there's a play-in tournament, so you really just need to be one of the 10 best teams. But where I have Memphis in this tier is this tier of maybe if things absolutely break right, some teams have have some huge COVID scares and, and things like that, um, maybe Memphis can sneak in. But um, again, I think the Jaron Jackson Jr. thing really hurts them in a condensed season with not a lot of room for error. But we'll see. I, I like Memphis, and I'm definitely going to be watching them because Jaw is an absolute stud. The next team I have in this, and probably the best team in this tier five that I have of the three, is the Timberwolves. So Cat and D'Lo is a tandem that creates playoff aspirations. And I think they're definitely, again, the best of the of the three teams in this tier. But I think their youth and surrounding talent just isn't up to par with the rest of the West. I trust that the rotations of the other teams are better. And, you know, again, Timberwolves have a bright future. You know, Anthony Edwards looks like he could be something. Uh, I like I like Akogi very much. So I, I have some some reasons to believe. And again, if, if Malik Beasley can work out, you know, he's obviously going through some legal and some personal trouble right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see what that looks like. They committed a lot of money to him. So so I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. But for the most part, Timberwolves have a very talented team. And they picked up guys like Ricky Rubio, who I like. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people forgot that the Timberwolves have Rubio again. But that's a, that's a pickup that will really just... They have quality players, but again, I just don't see them being as good as the rest of the West quite frankly. And the last team I have in this tier is Sacramento. Fox, Buddy, and the rest of the roster has talent that on paper looks like it could be competitive, but again, the West is just too good. That's really the theme for all three of these teams is that I don't I don't look at these teams as bad teams. I look at these teams that on any night if they can beat almost any team in the league. And, you know, that's really the randomness of the regular season. You know, Sacramento will have a game where they could where, where they could beat a um, a Clippers team or a Lakers team because maybe LeBron and AD rest or one of the two rest and Fox goes off and Buddy Heald has one of his games where he just goes absolutely nuts because he's one of those heat check players. So, you know, Sacramento is going to get some nice wins over this season. But again, I just see this as a team that's just missing a little bit too much. Um, I think they got a, I think they got too much to sort out in that front court too with Whiteside, uh, Holmes and Bagley. I just and Bielitsa as well. So I think that there's some there's going to be some juggling on that end, and we'll see we'll see what happens with Sacramento. But that's my tier five. Okay, so my tier four moving on is the end of the playoff slash play in race. These are the teams that I think will will be roughly because the the tiers ahead of them combined for seven teams. So this is essentially the 8th, ninth, 10th, uh, and 11th seed. And, and where I put these, these are the teams that I expect to be maybe in that very last playoff spot or in the play-in race. And so first off, I'll start with the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm a fan of Stan Van Gundy. I think he will be very good for this team. 
and this team has a lot of defensive potential and depth that will help during the regular season. Bledsoe was a nice pickup for them. I'm excited to see what Bledsoe and Lonzo can do in the backcourt, although that's essentially just going to be a a lesser version of Lonzo and Drew. I, I've always liked Bledsoe. I mean, obviously he has his playoff problems, but I like I like guards that are bigger and defense and defense oriented. And I think that Bledsoe and Lonzo are they're going to be a fun backcourt to watch defensively. I like Stephen Adams for a Van Gundy team because that just makes a lot of sense. I could see I could see his team being an eight seed or the play-in tournament, but anything less I think would be a disappointment. Um, there's some other teams in this tier that I have that maybe if things don't, if they're not in the playing tournament, it's not a disappointment. But I think when you have all the talent, of course, we didn't even mention, you know, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williams and what they can do and, and the levels of growth that they could play. I want to see, I want to see Ingram be a better defensive player. I want to see Zion be a better defensive player. And I know a lot of people are worried about the whole Stephen Adams is taking minutes from Zion, who's eventually going to be the five, but Looking at P.J. Tucker, man, I mean, you know, obviously P.J. Tucker and Zion are two different uh, human beings with with definitely different physical profiles. But, you know, why would you uh, I've never understood the 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 rush to move a player up a position like Anthony Davis has talked about this. He likes playing the four because he gets less banged up. And, you know, if your Zion is your franchise guy you know, wait until he's ready to grow into that fifth role. Let him get some, you know, he's a kid, like he's, he's 20 now going against all these players who are, who are, you know, some of these people are in their late twenties or early thirties. And so they have that grown man strength. And that's something that, you know, at 25, I can attest to is like, it's like, there is a certain level of strength that comes with age. And, you know, I wouldn't want to put Zion, especially somebody who's had, you know, some scary, some scary injuries. I mean, a player with that kind of profile always worries me um, athletically. So I'm not in a rush if I'm New Orleans to force Zion to play against dudes who are bigger and going to break him down and beat up his body. So for me, that's why I like the Steven Adams move for them, um, even if it doesn't make the most sense. But it allows it allows him, Stan Van Gundy and New Orleans to kind of slowly feed Zion into that into that five-man role what, where I think he'll ultimately end up being. I have no I have no disagreement with people that saying Zion should be a five. I just don't think he should be a five right now in his second season in the NBA. But I digress. The next team I have in here is a bit of a surprise, and that's San Antonio. A Coach Pop team will always have my benefit of the doubt, even if I find this team underwhelming. A healthy DeJounte Murray is something Spurs fans should be excited about. Um, you know, I like I like a lot of their guards. I don't love them. But, you know, DeRozan, Aldridge, Popovich, uh, some, some nice rotation players, that's going to get you enough wins to kind of, I think, be in that range for uh, for for the play-in tournament. I know some people are maybe... Maybe some people are, are less high on San Antonio than I am, and maybe some people are more high on San Antonio than I am, but I'm just always going to give a Coach Pop team the benefit of the doubt because he's proven to be the best coach in the history of the game, and I think he gets the most out of any player. I think him and Spolstra are very great in that regard, that they will they will literally maximize the potential of each team, and that's something that's very hard and very valuable. So... San Antonio, I could see them competing um, 
if I if I had to say of any of the teams most likely to fall out of this tier, it probably would be San Antonio, though. Next, and this one's a real surprise, is Houston. I have Houston in this, you know, potential play-in, and I know it, it's it's crazy because who the hell knows what's going to happen with this team. If they keep Harden, I think they likely end up somewhere in the third tier above um, above where I have them right now. If they trade Harden, this team might be even a tier below. So I kind of put them in this middle spot because Houston's just a a, a huge a, a huge you know smokescreen. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm obviously concerned with what I'll get from Wall and Boogie. The Christian Woods pickup is beautiful for them. That's the most offensively talented big that Harden has ever gotten to play with um, in terms of in terms of versatility. Obviously, I'm not I'm not discrediting the years that Dwight Howard was with Houston and good, but Christian Woods being able to shoot and roll to the rim, I think is a beautiful, beautiful thing for James Harden if he stays. Eric Gordon will be better. P.J. Tucker is still a dog, so this on paper is a very good team. Probably not a contender. Um, I wasn't a fan of them losing Robert Covington, but they're a very good team, and I just think that this situation is going to get uglier if Harden spends the whole season on the team. We know there's a culture change that Harden doesn't like. P.J. is unhappy. I just can't see this leading to something positive. We've seen this too many times, and it almost always plays out negative. Now, I will say on the Zach Lowe podcast with um, with Jeff Van Gundy, Jeff offered you know a really interesting perspective in that you know a lot of teams there's more um, there's more unsatisfaction and more turbulence in the NBA than I think people realize. Like oh, like almost every player in the league feels like they're underpaid because they're comparing themselves to somebody else who they think they're better than and you know there's all sorts of situations there are superstars that don't trust all all parts of their rosters or players on the roster that don't trust a superstar on their roster. And so, you know, he's saying that this level of dysfunction that Houston is in is magnified and intensive. It's focused on, but it's not, um, but it's not, you know, different than most other teams. It's just more public. And while I agree with him and he's, and he's probably right on that, I just see Houston as a team that because it is more public, I think that that's going to lead to more scrutiny and the more scrutiny becomes like, like I think with the Warriors, with the whole Durant thing, was that an internal problem? Absolutely. But do I think that the media asking Durant every day if he's going to leave, do I think that that made it worse? Yes. Like, I think that both are true. And that's why I just, I'm not optimistic on Houston. Again, I don't know how many games Wall is going to play. I don't know how many games Boogie's going to play. Um, I don't know how many games Harden's going to play for them or what kind of package they're going to get for Harden. Are they going to get a Ben Simmons that makes them good right away? Or are they going to get like a Michael Porter Jr. who's a good player who will put up numbers, but I don't see at this point in his career, I don't see Michael Porter Jr. winning you games. Maybe maybe a few here and there, but for the most part, he's not carrying a team, especially in a, in a competitive conference. So so for Houston, I just, they're, they're a big, listen, they're a big smokescreen. I don't know what to make of them. Maybe Maybe it makes more sense to you guys. Let me know. The last team I have in this in this tier here is Golden State. The clay injury is devastating, but Steph is great enough to carry a team to at least a playing spot. I think that they will be able to maximize wings like Wiggins and Oubre. I like giving Curry a big man like Wiseman, but I'm concerned that the shooting just won't be enough for them, which is why I think they if they don't shut down Curry or Green for the season, 
this is a team that will at least be competitive, unlike last year. So simply put, Golden State is a team that, you know, I worry I worry if Steph and Draymond will get shut down in, you know, towards the end of the season. But in reality, I think that if they play and if they're healthy uh, outside of the clay injury, of course, I think that this is a Golden State team that can that can compete for the playoff spot. And, you know, if they get to the playoffs, uh, I don't think they're getting out of the first round, but I think they're I think they're a team that in the first round, many people aren't excited to face. Let's put it like that. Okay, so the next tier I have is tier three. Really good, but most likely not contending. So I'll start it off with Utah. This is a really good team and likely the best team of this tier. They have good pieces that fit well. Maybe Conley's better in the system of free-flowing movement and great pick-and-roll play from Bogdanovich, Ingles, and all that becomes the, the secondary option to Donovan Mitchell. But I've just seen for years now, I've seen a team that relies too much on one person to carry the offense in the playoffs, and that's just not good enough in today in today's playoffs when defenses are so smart and aware. So I like Utah. Maybe Donovan goes up another level, and again, the system of you know Conley... Clarkston, uh, Ingles, that pick and roll, that pick and roll and free flowing movement, maybe that becomes enough offense to make up for to make up for what they what they can't get outside of it because they don't have a second star. Um, but they're defensively they're going to be great. I liked the favors pickup. He played well for them and he played well with Gobert. They made that work before. I think they'll make it work again. So it makes a lot of sense for me. But again, I just see. The offense is my big concern with them, and I think that's most people's concern. So I, I think they're going to be better than they were last year, especially because people forget losing a you know a twenty plus point per game score and Bogdanovich. You know, not having him in the bubble obviously hurt. Uh, there's no there's no team that can lose a twenty point per game score and then just be totally fine. You're going to be missing something. So um, they're going to be better than what than what the three to one collapse suggested last year. But in reality, I'm still not trusting their offense all the way. Next, I have the Phoenix Suns. The CP3 pickup is a good one on paper, but I think last season was such an anomaly, and with a condensed season, I worry about his durability. However, it's a worthwhile risk for the Suns. Booker gets a chance to learn from one of the greatest minds in basketball history, which I think people really underestimate uh, mentorship today in basketball, and that same benefit can be directly applied to Aiden, who's going to learn a lot about the game. And, you know, just these young guys are going to get accountability under CP3. And I really like that for Devin Booker, for uh, DeAndre Aiden. And that was something that Bill Simmons, you know, always talked about. Is Devin Booker played great last year, but Bill Simmons was, uh, he was very vocal about his displeasure of Devin Booker sitting out on Team USA Basketball. And the reason he was out on that is because He's like, this dude hasn't won anything, so it's kind of disrespectful to sit out on Team USA. But also, at the same time, it's one of those things that, you know, it's an environment that's a winning environment and, and an environment of accountability. And I think that that could benefit Devin Booker, and I was with him on that. I don't think he had to be as hard as he did on Devin Booker for that. But, however, Devin Booker's, you know, going to now have that under CP3. Because CP3, I don't care what team he's on, he's not losing. He's not losing any game that he should win. Like, Chris Paul is a true competitor. And he does not, if, if he walks into that locker room and is facing a team like a Charlotte or a Detroit, 
he's going to be pissed off if you lose that game. If the Suns lose that game, Chris Paul is going to be pissed off. He's going to bring that level of accountability of taking care of business of the games you should win and rising up to the challenge against the games that maybe you shouldn't win, but but you can win if you if you bring that level of intensity and competitive effort. So I like it for the Suns. I just, you know, I worry about Chris Paul staying healthy. But other than that, I think it's either way. I think it was a home run uh, trade for the Suns. They, they, gave, they got a better point guard giving up Rubio, and they gave up a pick that isn't a super un- unvaluable pick, but uh, in the long run, I don't think it will it will hurt them as much as some do. So I like Phoenix. And the last team that I have in this Tier 3 is Dallas. Luka is ascending to a level where he could carry an entire team by himself, and that was kind of what I talked about with Ja. Where, where Ja is, uh, where Luka is now, I could see Ja being in a year or two, but quite frankly, Luka has to do this right now. This has to be the season where he carries an entire team by himself because KP is out for at least January. Um, And I remember, or I I shouldn't say I remember, I expect this team to to slowly integrate Kristaps because it is his second knee injury. And that's a concern when you're a big guy, obviously. So I think they're going to kind of bring him back in. But this Dallas team, when healthy, is really, really good. People forget how great Powell was for them. He was the best rim runner in the league at one point. I like the wings of Josh Richardson, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finley-Smith, and the guards of Trey Burke and and Jalen Brunson. I also like the front line of Porzingis, Boban, Maxi Cleaver, Willie Cauley-Stein. James Johnson has a chance to be a sneaky good pickup for them. The moral of the story with Dallas and, and my thing has always come down to, and I saw it last year in the series against the Clippers or <laughs> what was really just a couple months ago, uh, Dallas has a lot of quality players and each of these wings and bigs, if they were just 30% better than what they are right now, this would be a contender because Luka is that special. And so I would love to see this team, you know, make some upgrades. They they were talked about getting a Drew Holiday or a um or players of that nature and i think that that's ultimately what dallas needs to go to the next level um obviously they saw price points that they didn't think they were that they didn't think were were fair for them to match so i i can't discredit dallas for that but again i just look at this team i'm just like man if dorian finley smith was was robert covington if tim hardaway jr was cj mccollum like you know like these are these are upgrades. Well, C.J. McCollum might be a really big upgrade to Tim Hardaway Jr., or it is, so maybe that's too fair or too unfair. But again, you know, if these guys were just better, were just better players, the same profile, but just better at better versions of that, I think this Dallas team would be contending for a championship right now. I think people don't realize Luka is that special that this team is already close to being a contender. Um, as long as Luka stays healthy and Kristaps can get healthy and then and then ultimately stay healthy this is a team that's going to compete and they're going to be a very very dangerous team especially if they continue to get um better pieces i did really like the josh richardson uh pickup for them i'm just a fan of josh richardson so i like that and again i like the james johnson one i think that has a sneaky chance to be a good pickup for them down the line so dallas is a really interesting team that of course i know everybody's going to watch and people are really quick to throw them in a high tier. Again, of Utah, Dallas, Phoenix, I don't know where that where that order ranges. I don't know if you know Phoenix has the best record out of them or Utah. I would imagine Utah probably has the best record out of them, and then Dallas and Phoenix are 
somewhere flip flopped. Dallas has the has a Przingis injury, uh, but they're also the bet the more talented team than Phoenix. So again, I'm not going to try to sit here and go this team's one, this team's two, this team's three. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk about each team and what they um, and, and where where their kind of general realm is and where I expect them to be. So the second to last tier, tier number two, the teams that could maybe beat the Lakers, which obviously, you know, gets to gets to my tier one. Denver Nuggets, the green pickup was nice. They kept Millsap, who's slipping, but still quality. Michael Porter Jr. should grow, all combining to replace the loss of Jeremy Grant, who I liked. I'm not just saying that because he's on the Pistons. I, I liked what he did last year in the playoffs. Um, I understand Denver feeling like that was an overpay, though. So I'm not opposed to that, although Denver was actually willing to match that. Uh, Will Barton is back too, uh, plus internal growth from Jokic and Murray, making Denver a team that will potentially be better than last year. I think that there's a good chance that Denver is better than what they were last year. And what they were last year was a team that was very competitive with the Lakers for a couple games in that series. you know. And Denver is a team that they absolutely have an outside shot to make the finals this year, definitely. But... I just don't see them on the tier of the Lakers just yet. I have to see th- I have to see that internal growth from from the team. The Clippers, uh, the Ibaka pickup was nice, a stretch five, but also has the size to play against Jokic and AD while also protecting the rim. That gives the Clippers major problems. Uh, the the size we talked about it all last year, and it was why I ultimately picked against the Clippers because although I didn't think the Clippers were going to lose the Nuggets. I thought that the Clippers were going to struggle against the Lakers because of the size of LeBron and AD. And just, of course, that big front line that included Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. Um, I thought that that was going to be a big problem for them. But as far as this year goes, I like the Kennard pickup too. But how much better is he than Shamit? I'm not sure. Also, I don't like the price they extended him at. I have concerns of his health. But I'm open to being wrong on that. So if those additions work out, Paul George gets back to his level of play. We've all heard the story about he's with the MVP trainer. Um, I'm not going to get into that, but if, if Paul George becomes Paul George again, or even just you know, maybe not peak Paul George, but even just a good Paul George, plus the, the, the chemistry can be sorted out, they can also beat the Lakers. Like This is a team that, let's not forget, last year on paper was by far looking the most talented team. And while I don't think that's the case this year, I think that they're definitely still in that range of being the team that on paper has the most talent in the league. Um, I don't think they are, but again, I think they're in that range and they're, they're just kind of right outside of the Lakers. And then the last team I have is Portland. I thought they had unquestionably gotten better. Nurkic is much better than Whiteside for them with what he can do with the pick and roll and, and just how he, how he plays as a passer and a finisher. Cantor replaces most of what Whiteside brought. Dame is at his absolute apex. The Covington pickup. I mentioned Covington a lot in this podcast, so you could tell that I really like him. Uh, I love his game. I thought he played well in the bubble outside of, you know, outside of there were moments in the Lakers series. But again, the dude was playing, you know, mostly against fives. And I think in this with Nurkic, he'll play a lot of threes and fours, and that and that fits him a lot better. But Gary Trent, Anthony Simmons, and Nazir Little, I expect them to get better as well. And Gary Trent's already in the rotation, but maybe Anthony Simmons or Nazir Little, one of those two guys, ends up cracking the rotation. Uh, the Rodney Hood pickup is good as well. I love I love Carmelo on this team. So for the most part, I feel like Portland just absolutely got better. I don't think they lost a lot. I know Whiteside gets numbers, but 
we've all known this for years that Whiteside gets numbers, but they don't necessarily show the impact that he has in the game. Like he actually has far less impact than his numbers would suggest. So for me, um, you know, I like I like what Portland did. I thought they had a great off season. And again, if they can have that internal growth, if Dame could be a level better, if CJ McCollum could be a level better, if Zach Collins could be healthy and be a level better, this is a team that, you know, I think I think their shot is now. I really think that this year is their best year to make the finals. Now, am I picking them to make the finals? No, but I think that this is their best year. And that's saying something because they have gotten to the Western Conference Finals before. But I feel like this is the best version of Portland. They're just so close to being there. And I would and I would love to see them do it. That leaves number one, the tier one, and it's just named the Los Angeles Lakers, because they're the only team in this tier. They got better, and the teams on their on their level last year in the West got worse or stayed the same. Houston's a mess with Harden. Clippers lost Harold to the Lakers, which is a double whammy. Um, you know, the Ibaka pickup, like I said, I like Ibaka better than Harold, but losing Harold to the Lakers is a double whammy, so you kind of get both ends of it. You made the team that was already better than you better. And, you know, even though you got arguably a better player to replace Harrell. And then, of course, Denver losing uh, Jeremiah Grant, or Jeremy Grant, I should say. So I don't think Denver got worse. I think Denver, I think there's a path for Denver to be better. Um, Portland got better, but they weren't really in that tier. The Lakers, you know, destroyed them in the first round last year. So. It's really just the Clippers. Uh, Houston, again, is a mess with Harden. No clue what's going to happen there. I don't expect Harden to be on there all season. And if he is, I still don't expect it to be a contending team. I think that it's a team that's just mentally broken and burnt out. Um, so I'm really looking at the Clippers and the Nuggets as the teams that last year were uh, were contenders. I, I believe that by the end, Denver emerged as a true contender with how well they played the Lakers. Even though they didn't win, they played well enough to be deserving of the title contenders. And so, again, the Clippers obviously had their, their struggle, but they have the talent to to become, you know, a team that, that can beat the Lakers. So it's not a foregone conclusion that the Lakers are winning the title this year or winning um, the West, but I definitely have my money on the Lakers winning the West. Let me know what you guys think about this. Um, this was just a fun solo podcast, something to do a little a little different than I, than I normally do. You know, I always have guests on here, but... I wanted to try something new and just kind of see how the audience reacts to it. And I had a lot to say about a lot of Western Conference teams. So I decided to just say, fuck it. Let's talk about all the Western Conference teams. And it's going to be a fun season. The West is going to be very, very fun to watch. The East is going to be more fun than normal. But as always, the West is where it's at. So that's why I waited to drop it until the start of the season. Everyone, the season is back. I hope you enjoy it. If you're in a fantasy league like myself, I wish you all the best. I'm probably going to post my fantasy team on my Instagram and let you guys kind of rate how you how you feel about it. But in reality, uh, you know, this time of year is my favorite time of year. You know, we got the holiday seasons, get to be with family. Basketball is kicking into high gear. Normally it's back by now, but now, but now Christmas Day is usually when the season starts. So now that it's actually physically starting literally right around Christmas, it's going to be very fun. Um, yeah, I'm excited, man. So please, if you don't already, follow me on all of the social medias at Real Chris Platty, C-H-R-I-S-P-L-A-T-T-E. I know you ha- know how to spell real. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And without further ado, um, I'll see you on the next podcast.